Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Today on the program, Candace Owens, the one and only. She's amazing and she's here. I'm psyched. She's got a new show, everybody. I don't know if you've checked this out, but if you haven't, you need to. It's on The Daily Wire and it's called, appropriately, Candace. Um, and it shows sort of the full Candace Owens, right? It's not, she's, she's not all barbs and elbows. Now, finally, you'll get to know her as the person she truly is. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about it. We're going to talk about new motherhood. because She had a baby January 13th and we get into her fight with Cardi B, her fight with a democratic lawmaker, politician, I should say, who, uh, has been coming after her for years. And she finally wound up calling the cops on this guy and basically forcing him to leave politics. How about that? She's got feelings on the trial of Derek Chauvin, uh, the the police officer accused in the death of George Floyd, and, and of course, the latest COVID restrictions and how we might all need passports to get around and and mandatory vaccinations for children, potentially. So anyway, you're going to enjoy the interview. She's fun. She's spicy. She's awesome. We'll get to her in one second. But first, this. Candace. Hey, Megan, how are you? I'm good. How are you? How's everything? Busy, crazy, but you know, good. Life's a blessing. So no, no complaints. How's new motherhood? It is good. You know, breastfeeding is exhausting. So I think I have a nice, bitter place in my heart for people who say they love it. I love breastfeeding. I'm just <laughs> like, stop, stop it. No, you don't. <laughs> I loved it for all the weight it, it took off of me. Honestly, I shed, I shed pounds so easily. It was, I was like, I love this baby even more. Yeah, I think I'll love it. I loved it exactly for that period of time. And now it's just right. a chore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard when you're working, right? It's so hard when you're working because yeah, it's like, that's you know, what it is so make, hard. Yeah. Make the break. And I, I know it's hard because you just had, you just had him in January, right? So yeah. he's, how old though? I'm doing my math. Um, just turned 11 weeks. Okay. So that's tough. I, I went back after I had my third child, I went back after nine weeks. And can I say it was too early? I, I just yeah. felt like that one hurt. That one hurt. He was so little and it just seemed like too early to go back. I did it because we were launching the Kelly file and I know you're launching a new show. So you do what you got to do, right. but had to do it yeah, seven weeks, right? It does. Yes. I was like, you know what? Seven weeks is, was too fast. 
Um, but and it's just hard because you're just trying to your whole day revolves around your boobs. I mean, it's just like it's incredible. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so true. <laughs> weird, but I'm All right, well, it. I want to get in. I want to get. I want to get to more of that later. The new show and the new baby. But let's let's start on on. Uh, speaking of kids, on this, uh, good news, Candace, because they're they're testing the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, on twelve year olds, twelve to fifteen year olds, and they want us to celebrate that it's working really well. And look, I I like good news about the vaccine in general, but you know where this is going to lead. We are definitely going down a road of. You must do it for your kid to get back into school. And th- this this is not well tested. I don't want to test it on my kid. I'm not anti-vax. I will definitely take the vaccine against COVID. But I am not giving it to my soon-to-be 12-year-old in order for him to return to school. The, the risks are too low to him of, of actually getting COVID. And the vaccine and its long-term effects are too unknown. What do you think? I completely agree. And it's so funny because when this whole COVID-19 thing broke out, you know, I, I think I was called a conspiracy theorist in several articles because I had said that it was so obvious to me that this was going to lead to mandatory vaccinations. You know, it was just the way that they were censoring anybody who said anything against the narrative. And I'm talking common sense stuff. Like, like you just said, I tweeted this, you know, that it is to me, the concept of putting this vaccine, this vaccine in the arms of children when they have a virtually 0% chance of dying of COVID-19, you know, it's virtually okay. 0%. Um, and this obviously has not gone through long-term trials. It's not like this, this has been around for a decade and you can say, oh, here's what happened to everybody who got this vaccine 10 years later. You don't know how it's going to impact fertility. You know, imagine giving your child the vaccine and you, you find out 15 years later that everyone who got that vaccine had fertility issues. I find that to be as a parent irresponsible. I tweeted that and they, they, they slapped a missing, you know, missing context, misleading label on this on Twitter. And then you follow the misleading link and there's nothing misleading. They just say, Oh, well people, you know, it's, it's been said that this is a, that this vaccine is safe and effective. And it's like, you did not, (laughs) you did not actually debunk anything I've said in this tweet which is that, in my opinion, it's irresponsible because kids are fine if they get this virus. You know, there haven't been no children dying of COVID-19. Um, and so it's it's crazy to me that we're getting into this place where they're, they are going to try to force parents to make this decision. And it's a very critical decision. And I certainly will not be amongst the parents that are, is getting this vaccine for my children. Nope. Me neither. And, and my kids have been totally vaccinated on all the other fronts. I actually don't love it when parents don't get like the MMR vaccine because it's like, all right, now we, we don't want a resurgence of measles. But I understand it's personal choice. But this it's like, at least we've had long-term studies on those vaccines. We've, COVID-19 has only been around a year. So don't let anybody try to tell you that they've done some long-term study on it. And like you say, right. the risk is so low. This is like, to me, this seems like the, uh, an outcome of the paranoid teachers unions who are c- continue to push for zero risk. Zero risk is what they say for them to return to the classroom. Right now, Candace, I just looked it up. Only... 50% of schools are back in session full-time in person. Still 50% of the nation's schools are either virtual, 100% virtual, or at least half virtual because of these teachers' unions who continue to say zero risk or we don't go back. Well, you know, let me just tell you, Megan, you're going to be so excited to learn at least they are providing in-person instruction for the migrants at the border. So 
at least. Wait, is that, that true? That's that not, is 100% that true? Yes, it was reported what? yesterday. Yes, there's in-person, <laughs> there's in-person learning uh, for migrants that are in these uh, centers at the border. And you know, so there's, uh, I promise it was an uproar <laughs> yesterday on Twitter, uh, you know, because the California a parent wrote this was like, you know, I'm really glad that they're allowed to have in-person teachers go down for the migrants at the border, but we don't have that for our students here in California. Oh, and I just went, my God. how is this real? But yeah, so that's right. And most, most children are still learning virtually, even the children that are going in school. Uh, you know, I know a family in New York City, their kids are behind plexiglass and they still have to learn virtually in the classroom. So there's a big screen because there's not actually a teacher and a teacher is oh, instructing yeah. So it's, I mean, it's bizarro land for these, yeah, no, again, been, very low risk children. That's been one of the things um, like at Dalton, which is all about equity. And, you know, there's been a big uproar about that school this year. The parents fi- there who are far left people for the most part. I mean, they finally said, we've had enough with all your cr- crazy critical race theory in every single class, in gym, in art, in, in health class, all of it. Um, but they, for a long time, maybe still, were only allowing the teachers to teach virtually. And even if the teacher showed up at the building to teach, um, one parent was telling me the teachers had to go into like a little cubicle and teach from there. They they weren't allowed to walk into the classroom with the kids who were in the class ready to learn because it wouldn't be fair to the kids who were sort of dialing in virtually. It's insane. It is. It is insane. And you know what? It, it is funny because you are correct to hit at the fact that this is because of the unions. You've got a bunch of lazy teachers that should have been fired a long time ago, but these unions protect them. And you, you remember that mass email went out to teachers during spring break saying, don't publish any pictures of you at the beach on spring break because it would look bad. Right. So these, these yep. teachers yep. are happy to go to a beach down in Florida and be around a bunch of adults because Florida is a free state, as I like to say. Um, and they have to be told, don't post it because we we just don't want the blowback because we still want to hold the line and not allow these students to come back to school and resume classes as normal. Um, again, oh. it's, it's it's laugh out loud funny to think that a year ago they said two weeks to slow the spread. And here we are. Yeah, it's so annoying. It's like uh, I continue to point out whenever we have this discussion, our teacher, you know, we, we pulled our kids and put them in a new school. Our boys and our daughter's going to go in September. But my son's fifth grade teacher is 65 years old. He's been in the classroom all year. He wears his mask. The kids do social distancing and they wear the masks. Hopefully that'll soon end. But the guy's been there every day. He doesn't complain. And by the way, he's not trying to indoctrinate my kids either. He doesn't get political with them. He says, that's for your parents to do. I'll teach you about civics and how the country works. Amen. Right. The good ones are still out there. But these, you know, the bad apples give them all a bad name. Oh, no, wait, I want to shift gears because speaking of the southern border, Jim Jordan was pointing out, you speaking of the migrants who are getting, you know, the, the classes, the in-person classes, they, they don't, of course, need a passport to come across the southern border. But now um, you, you are going to get a hard time if you if you want to uh, basically the Democrats are objecting to requiring voter ID. Right. So like in Georgia, there's this yeah. big pushback on their voter ID requirement, but it's fine for people to come across the southern border with with no papers whatsoever, and they're going to be given in-person classes as soon as they get here. Yeah, I mean, th- then this is, again, it just it's constantly seems like the Democrats attack law-abiding American citizens in favor of people who break laws, right? So you break into a country, we'll get you a hotel room, right? They, they have a budget now where Joe Biden is getting them hotel rooms, and it's a ridiculous amount of money for that. 
um, and they get in-person uh, training and, and teaching for these kids because we have to take care of them at the border while we feel like our children are neglected, the American families are neglected, and there are no solutions for American families that have been out of work. American families are told that COVID-19 is the reason that they can't move around. Not a problem for these people that are coming in, obviously not tested for COVID-19, right? Um, mm-hmm. And surging at our border and, and 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 being allowed into our country. And there seems to be that there's no consequence for that. And, you know, me, I'm married uh, to an Englishman. So our family lives in London. His family lives in London. They have not yet been able to meet my child uh, because they're not allowing people to come in overseas from America. Unless I said, and I made the joke uh, to my mother and father-in-law, why don't you guys just take a flight to Mexico and run over the border and then we'll see you tomorrow, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's crazy because, you know, the, the, the Democrats are acting like the Georgia voter ID law is literally the reinstatement of Jim Crow requirement. Just just like some basic voter ID constraints, which which strike the average person is totally reasonable. But the press has portrayed them in a way that's basically you're going to have to be tarred and feathered to go through the voting line. Um, but when you when when you look at what's happening at the border, um, it, before we move on to the Georgia, I do want to finish up what's happening on the border. It really is getting progressively disturbing. And it doesn't seem like as we see young children coming across and getting hurt um, more and more, like thousands of children getting endangered. Suddenly, the same Democrats who are so upset about it don't seem to care. And Biden has stopped construction of the border wall. And the, Fox News just aired a report with a with a, a border agent talking about how. The fence is three quarters of the way done in his region. He's like, just let us finish because the smugglers are sending groups of, of asylum seekers, so-called asylum seekers, uh, through these gaps. They overwhelm the agents. As soon as they leave to apprehend one group, another one runs across. And all we hear from the Biden administration is there's no crisis. It's like Kevin Bacon in, in an animal house. Remain calm. All is well. <laughs> and by the way, the Biden administration's second point is, and if there is a crisis, it's all Trump's fault. It's Trump's fault. Um, which makes no sense. Half of the EU, some of these people are literally carrying Biden flags, you know, because he's made it clear the entire time he was running for president that he, he's happy to allow people in, and that Trump was a horrible, backwards white supremacist xenophobe for not allowing people to break into our country because that's what they're doing. Countries have laws. I would never dream of just entering Canada uh, without abiding by Canadian laws, making sure I had a passport to enter legally and I was recognized while I was there. I would never dream of going over to England without recognizing their laws and being respectful to those laws. And so I think the reason that Democrats don't refer to this as a border crisis because is, is for them, it really isn't. You know, I've been speaking publicly for four years and I have warned Black America that if Democrats ever got power again, um, you know, they would dilute our our vote. And their goal is to import a bunch of new voters, right? So this to them is a border plan. It allows them to really present to these migrants, we are the heroes, we're going to get you everything you need. This is the, you know, the connection to not wanting voter ID laws, right? Allow these migrants to vote and and bank on them voting for Democrats to keep their party in power. Uh, so to them, this is much more Machiavellian. And they're, they're not even feigning shock or surprise, and they don't want any cameras down there because this is how they intended for things to go under a Biden administration. That's the thing. So it's like it's all tied together, right? So you and I are going to have to get vaccine passports, digital vaccine passports. It's another thing the Biden administration is considering for adults. And our kids may have to prove that they've been vaccinated in order to go to school. But immigrants can run across the border where we refuse to finish the fence because Biden has basically welcomed them. I mean, that's that's essentially what the Mexican president is saying. They're, they're running up there because you gave them the impression they would be let in. 
That's no problem. Then when they get here and they try to vote illegally, which does happen, we're going to be told that we're all racist if we require them to show any ID. Right. You see, like right. the circle of, and how absurd right. it is. Yeah, it's absurd. And it's, and it's a brilliant plan at the same time. Right. Uh, you know, demographics can change a vote. And, and this is what they're looking to do. They're looking to alter demographics in this country. Um, and like I said, this will further dilute the, the black vote. So if you're talking about racism, which seems to be their favorite catchphrase, uh, everything is racist. Right. Um, well, mm-hmm. what's more racist than saying to uh, black Americans who are actually American citizens that your vote is going to matter less because we're importing a new class of minority voters and we're giving them handouts in the same way that we gave you handouts, uh, you know, when they implemented all the welfareism in the 1960s in the civil rights era. And they said, you know, they married black Americans to the government and they really converted black Americans into dedicated Democrat voters that way. And that's why it's been that way for six decades. Um, but they need more voters. Black Americans are 13 percent of the population. And I, I really do believe that they're going to implement that same strategy to Hispanic Americans, give them tons of handouts, you know, welfare programs and say, oh, the evil Republicans are going to take these away if you don't vote for us. Here's how you can vote. Yep. There's no voter ID laws. You know, sign up, vote for me. And and that yep. seems to me to be the crystal clear plan. It's it's I mean, when they're talking about, you know, D.C. statehood and allowing all these um, immigrants to come across the border and then we're not allowed to question them to produce IDs if they try to vote. Right. Or if they if, if we actually enforce our voter ID laws, that, that's then we're racist. I mean, you can see they're obviously looking for votes. I mean, Ann Coulter, for all the shit she's taken. She's been saying this forever. Like, this is a massive scheme to increase Democrat voters. And if you don't understand that, you haven't you haven't been paying attention to the Democrats pretty open plans on this issue for for a lot of years. And I do think that the vote there, there are very loud objections to these voter ID laws like the one we're seeing now in Georgia. It's all tied. It's all tied in. And and so is the media messaging on it, Candace. We heard Media Research Center, who I love, that's Brent Brent Bazell's group. They're sort of, you know, fair and balanced. and They keep an eye on the media. They did a great mashup of what we heard in the press this week about Georgia's new voter ID law. Take a listen to the themes we're hearing. We're watching the big lie turn into voter suppression before our very eyes. How do you at the DNC plan to contend with the voter suppression efforts that we're now seeing across the country? States across the country race to enact laws to suppress voting. Is this all voter suppression in action? Extraordinary surge of voter suppression laws. There's a huge wave of new voter suppression efforts. Republican voter suppression efforts. Massive voter suppression. Sweeping new voter suppression law in Georgia. Georgia's Jim Crow voter suppression law. The the broadest attempt to make it more difficult for Americans to vote since the Jim Crow era before the Voting Rights Act. What is obviously a racist policy of trying to suppress the votes of non-white voters. Obviously racist. Obviously, Candace. You know, the, the Georgia law is is push, put in place by a bunch of racists who are basically wanting to go back to the time of billy clubs and fire hoses. Yeah, and you have to appreciate this, especially coming out of the mouths of Democrats who were the people that implemented racism from the times of slavery. You know, Jim Crow laws, that was the Democrats, the longest filibuster yep. ever in Congress. That was the Democrats, actually. Uh, not even just the Democrats, but Joe Biden's mentor, uh, you know, uh, Robert Byrd, who was the grand cyclops 
um, the exalted Cyclops in the Ku Klux Klan. He was a part of the longest filibuster ever to stop Black Americans from receiving civil rights. But they assume that Black Americans have a short memory um, because they are not teaching that history. That Democrats have always been behind the suppression and the racism of Black Americans. They've just learned a new trick, which is that what the Democrats do is they essentially call everything racist that they want Black Americans to attack. Um, with you know, and so they expect us to react emotionally and not to think rationally about what they're saying. If you think rationally about what the Democrats are saying by calling this a form of voter suppression or calling this racist and trying to refer to this as Jim Crow, um, you will realize that what they're saying is that Black Americans are too dumb to get ID. I don't know a single Black American, been Black my whole life, Megan, have not skipped even one day <laughs> being Black. And I don't know a single Black American who does not have a form of ID because you can't do anything without ID, right? Uh, you, you, you can't you, uh, buy forget, liquor, cigarettes, you can't rent a car, you can't rent a hotel. Tell you can't open a bank account, Megan. So I mean, are Black Americans walking around like Neanderthals? I mean, they literally have never traveled, never been on a plane. You know, I mean, and have done absolutely nothing their entire lives because we just can't figure out how to Google DMV. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. is that really what the Democrats think that we're that stupid? And the answer is yes. They do think that we're that stupid, but they know that what they're saying is foolish. They think that we're stupid and emotional enough, which is again, uh, you know, unrelated but perfectly related. Why critical race theory is now being taught down the pipeline? Because critical race theory ensures that Black Americans become increasingly more emotional to the word racism, right? And so we react to racism so quickly that we don't think clearly. And they don't want us to think clearly. Again, they want a reactive group of individuals. And that is what they're doing with this Georgia law. They want us to react to the word racist. There is no racism here. It's common sense. You need ID to do everything in this country. And Black Americans are smart enough to get ID. Yeah, critical race theory. I mean, is the, definitely the underlying message is that Blacks actually are second class citizens, that they're they just don't have the the skills to make it in a white man's world. And so we're going to have to bend all the rules and lower the standards for black people to compete. I mean, it's unbelievably insulting. And yeah. and just to but just to go back onto what the law actually says, because at first I was on vacation, I wasn't really paying attention. Then I took a hard look at it. And by the way, um, Rich Lowry at National Review has a great piece on this, which I'm I'm looking at now. So you have to write your driver's license number on your absentee ballot envelope. Okay. The the new law expands weekend voting. The new law limits ballot drop boxes to places they can't be tampered with. Those are a new thing anyways, in the wake of COVID, they're just making sure you can't mess with it and sort of create voter fraud The the, um, you have to provide a driver's license or a state ID number to apply for a ballot. Uh, and then you have to provide one of those numbers when you're returning the ballot. Um, and then the thing that's made all the news is you can't distribute food. It bans people from distributing food or drink to voters who are standing in line. And that's the thing Joe Biden keeps like, oh, my God, what kind of a state would ban the distribution of food or water uh, to, to voters standing in these long lines? It's obviously an attempt to suppress the vote. And when I heard first heard that, I was like, oh, that is bad. That, they shouldn't do that. But it's BS. It only bans the partisans who are basically like, how would you like a cookie in a water? Isn't Biden amazing? They're trying to prevent the partisans from going. But they are allowing the poll workers to provide food and drink for general use. So that's a lie, too. Right. Right. And they want. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. They're trying to avoid the, you know, the intimidation that happens at the polls where people are going around trying to influence the vote. Um, and that, and, and by the way, even saying that, you know, not providing food and water, I mean, I, I even been insulted by that. I don't think it's really the responsibility of anybody but themselves to figure out 
if this is going to be a long line, I'm at the amusement park. Do we need to pack sandwiches? Do we need to pack water? I mean, you're not, Same. it's not like these lines are, are 16 hours long. You know what I mean? So we need to even put that into context. Like, I it's mean, true. I don't, I mean, I walked in and I, and I voted and I live in a major and lived in a major city in DC. And I went at the end of the day and I'm telling you, I think I was in and out of there in 15 minutes, right? I'm a big girl. If I, if I think I need to get water and I say, you know what, this, I, I can look outside and say, this line's really long right now. I'm going to go grab some water, grab a snack. So even that, this is like, this, this is coddling of the American, uh, the American person. Like when you go to the DMV, there are long lines. I mean, there are long lines all around America. Long lines are not a form of abuse. You know, you decide whether or not you want to go into this line, if this is a good time for you to go on the line, there's so many other things you can do, you know, like, like we, like we were just talking about, you can vote on a different day, you can vote early, um, you can request if you have the, the means or you need it to have an absentee ballot. So even that is a form of bigotry of low expectations. Like we just don't know how to yes. feed ourselves if there's a line. You know, it's reminding me of um, when I covered the inauguration of Barack Obama in January 2009, it was a freezing cold day and I was actually out on the National Mall for Fox. And um, people, of course, were so excited and especially black voters were there in droves to to cheer him on and celebrate his victory. And I interviewed so many people out on the National Mall that day. And I th- there's this one clip that went viral. and It was so fun. We all loved it of me speaking with these two. I don't know if I'd say older, but let's say 60s um, black women who had on these big, big puffy coats and they opened up their coats because I'm like, how are you going to make it through this day? It's a long wait. You had to get there at the crack of dawn and then just wait all day. And um, they open up their coats, Candace, and it's like she's pulling out. I mean, it was like, you know, the, the magic box that we used to see on that. Uh, oh, what was that show when I was a kid? I can't remember. Anyway, it was like bottles of water and a ham sandwich and crackers yeah. and cookies. And like people understand how to provide for themselves if they're going to be standing yeah, outside for a long time. Yes. I lived in New York, freezing cold day. These people were wrapped around like 18 blocks waiting for Justin Bieber tickets. You know what I mean? People had mattresses, mattresses laying outside for Justin Bieber tickets. I mean, think about uh, Friday. What is, what is the uh, Friday before Thanksgiving? Black Friday. Right. When people are when people are wrapped around lines and lines for a big screen TV, you know, from Best Buy. And so yes. it's like we, you'll be shocked at how crafty people can be when they actually want something. Right. And so yeah. this idea that suddenly it's like, oh, my gosh, people just don't know how to do this. I mean, it's, it's just complete BS. And I refuse to feed into that nonsense. Black Americans, all Americans are capable of making sure they are taken care of if they do encounter a long line, which is not the standard. It's not like there are tons of long lines everywhere. Um, right. you know, on, on voting day, there are some absolutely, but we're not talking about 24 hours standing in line here in here in New York. They, they'll wait all day just to get a Magnolia cupcake, which is delicious. But yeah. by the way, there's a sister company to Magnolia. I mean, a sister like shop called Billy's and there's never a line at Billy's and it's exactly the same thing. So there you go. <laughs> there's a little insider. I mean, lines for everything. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's an insider tip. Um, but now meanwhile, Biden, is calling for Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game from Georgia. That's that's what he was pushing for. And basically suggesting that Georgia be boycotted for passing a law with which he disagrees, or at least is saying that he disagrees in order to pacify his base. So, uh, so much for the unity and the healing, right? He's going to be mm-hmm. president for every state. He's going to, except for the purple ones that want to enforce voter ID laws. I mean, he's a, he's a partisan hack. And look, the rich irony of that is that California is no longer the home of movie making. Georgia is. Atlanta is uh, because people got tired of the taxes in California. And now they're not making mm. movies there for him to even 
say that. It's just, it's so disturbing. It's so disturbing that you're literally doing something that ensures that our elections in the future have integrity. And the Democrats are opposed to that. And, and it makes you wonder, right? These are the Democrats that said there was absolutely no voter fraud, right? Everything was above bar. Every, I mean, everything was just done perfectly right. We, we Joe Biden really is the most popular president of all time. He's got 80 million plus votes, more popular than Barack Obama was. Well, so what are they What are they so fearful of? Wouldn't they want another totally above board election process, right? So mm-hmm. it, it just kind of, it makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with, with all that. But one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, CNN is based in Atlanta, Georgia. They're going to leave? <laughs> they're they're into partisanship, right? They are active partisans now. Are they are they going to take a stand? They're going to move everybody up here to New York. I'll That's wait. a great question. Let's start with CNN. We'll follow CNN. Coming up in one second, we're going to get into the latest nonsense over at CNN, which thought it would be a good idea to s- to send out an article reminding us, and I quote, "It's not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth." And there is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth. There isn't? There's, there isn't? <laughs> we'll talk about it. But first this. Did you see their thing? Their article they tweeted out saying the thing about gender identity? They're saying it's not, it's, this is a quote, it's not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth. What the hell? Right. Like now you yeah. it's not possible. What? Like there were all these responsive tweets online saying, why don't you just look below the waist? I don't know, Candace. How did you figure <laughs> out you had a boy? Right. We seem to be going backwards. But I will say this. It seems more and more that what they're after is really just like it, it, there's something so misogynistic about this attempt to erase women and what it means to be a woman. Um, and, and increasingly with this transgendered movement and, and saying, you know, men now, biological men or just men right, need to be allowed into uh, women's sports. And that even saying the word female has become a form of bigotry uh, in a lot of places. And and saying that allowing children to pick their genders, which in my opinion is a form of child abuse, that children shouldn't be allowed to pick anything on even their own dinner, right? Because if they were allowed mm-hmm. to pick to their own dinner, they'd be eating sugar and sweets and snacks every single day for dinner because mm-hmm. they are not their, their brains are immature. There's a reason we are adults and there's a reason that they are children. Um, and, and so, yeah, this entire LBGT, and I know that there's longer letters that have been slapped onto the acronym, this movement has become so really letters. harmful. Yeah, I, I, I stopped remembering after the T. Um, but, you know, it, it has become so harmful and it does seem to me that the focus really does seem to be on trying to transform children. And it's very sinister. And it's very evil. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I have to say, it's like, I'm fine. If you if you don't identify with your biological sex, I will respect that. That's not for me to interfere with. But you don't get to tell me that there that biological sex doesn't exist and that it's not possible to understand it at birth. Right. It's like that. It's all gone too far. And, and we there was just an article about what's happening in Great Britain. Well, guess what? It's happening here, too, where the, the medical community is being shamed for saying, breastfeeding like you may you may not be aware Candace you're not breastfeeding you're chest feeding feeding. if you Uh, don't say chest feeding you're being disrespectful disrespectful of the trans community and it's like well fuck you I have breasts the fact that you may not want to call it that doesn't change what is sometimes a sweet loving nurturing 
hideous, horrible, painful activity between me and my baby. <laughs> like, right. And, that, and just, that's why I say it's there alienating. Is it's misogynistic though, right? Like there's nothing that makes us women. I'm like, you know, did you have a child? Were you pregnant for nine months? Did you push a child out? And you're going to tell me that there's nothing that makes me different from a man. You know, you don't get the right to do that. And, and right. so it, to, to me, it just, it's astonishing because especially in the era of rabid feminism that we live in today, right? Where, where women are screaming about their rights and marching in pussy hats and, oh my gosh, if you know, Trump's president, women are going to be sent backwards and all these things. Well, what is this? You want to talk about the patriarchy? Well, the patriarchy just put on a wig and called itself a woman. And now you're boxing out women, uh, you know, in so many different areas of life. And I, I have been very strongly vocally against this for the last four years. And again, they, the scariest element of it now is they seem to be preying on children. You know, when you take a course now at the university level, they want you to list your pronouns. When you, uh, in elementary schools in California, they're trying to say that they can tell children that they can pick their genders while they're in school. Right. And they don't have to tell the parent because that child should be protected under LBGT rights. So it's like telling your guidance counselor that you're gay. They don't have to tell the parent because of some laws in California. But yet it's, yep. it's becoming a part of the curriculum to say, Sarah, do you do you sometimes feel like Tyler and all, asking all these questions? And it's really confusing children. Children trust adults. You know, children are trying to understand the world. When a child comes up to you and says, oh, look, you know, like for me, Megan, I was a total tomboy, mind you, for <laughs> three years. I, all I wanted to do when I was in elementary school was be a boy. I just like, I know I thought they had more fun. I spoke with a deeper accent. I wore baggy pants. Well, thank goodness I grew up during the 90s where my mom didn't shave my head and call me Michael because it was trendy, right? Because, <laughs> well, you know, no, what happened no. was I grew up, I went through puberty and suddenly those boys that I wanted to hang out with and be became cute to me, you know? <laughs> that's, right, that's right. Can I tell you, now you're an uncle tomboy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You're going to laugh at this, Candace. I had Larry Elder, who I know you love, on the show. Yeah. And we talked all about the movie Uncle Tom, in which you are a star. And um, I, I guess, like, it's a thank you. He sent me, his team sent me a bunch of Uncle Tom, like, merch, including, including like, <laughs> Uncle Tom t-shirts. And I was saying to Abby, my assistant, can you imagine if I wore this around New York City? <laughs> Uh, Larry Elder is just, he's one of the most wonderful human beings. So intelligent has been a mentor to me. Uh, and it is true. You know, it's, 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 it's just astonishing to think of it, but just the times that we live in today. And I try to tell students, I did an event last night, actually, um, at a university here in Nashville. And I just, I just want these kids to know it wasn't like this even 10 years ago, but it is mm -hmm. rad. This country has radically transformed the idea that these children have to list their pronouns in every class that they take, the concept of critical race theory. I mean, I never thought Ugh. about the skin color of people in my class. We weren't taught to hate white people or to see oppression, to see my own oppression everywhere, right? So I, yep. I, it was equality, right? This is, I was just another student and they don't, that is true equality when they're not treating you like you're something special, when they're not telling you that you're oppressed or privileged. Megan, my child's biracial. Does that make him half privileged or half oppressed? I mean, what 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 is he right. going to do in this world? No, you, know? you got to lean into victimology. Whatever the victim right. is, that's what you got to lean into. <laughs> yeah. exactly. And who knows? Soon, it, soon it may be really unclear which side that is. I don't, you know, like based on what I'm hearing. But he, uh, on the pronouns front, did you see the um, that the actress Sarah Paulson? You know her. She's she's a lesbian. She's with my favorite actress from the show The Practice from the 1990s, um, whose name I don't know offhand, but she's beautiful and she's older and she's really cool. Anyway, they're together. So Sarah Paulson got harassed by somebody because, you know, now it's not enough 
for you to be supportive of people who are, you know, choosing a different gender identity. Um, Holland Taylor, that's her name. It's not enough. Now you must, you must list your pronouns or you're considered transphobic. So Sarah Paulson was told by some rando on Twitter to put her pronouns in her Twitter bio. And she just responded like, it's not for you to tell me what to do. Right. Like deeply offensive. Oh, I mean, the mob was unleashed on her. People are calling for her to be canceled. She's a star of American Horror Story. Um, mm. She's transphobic. She's a turf. That's trans exclusionary radical feminist. And I don't even know who's in that group anymore because even Gloria Steinem came out. She's supposed to be our number one feminist. Um, and that's and she totally is for women just as long as they're liberal. Um, she came out and was like in, in support of all the pronouns and the children being able to choose. And, you know, Abigail Schreier was calling her a turncoat. Um, anyway, now you have to do it. If you refuse to say your pronouns, even if it's perfectly clear wh what you are, what sex you are, you're you're phobic, you're transphobic. Yeah, I mean, they've been calling me transphobic for years because I refuse to play that game. And, and it really goes back to what you said about uh, I am. If you have gender dysphoria, which gender dysphoria, by the way, is legally listed as a psychiatric disorder um, in it the is. DSM in the DSM five, any psychiatric yeah. disorder to me, if you have that, you know, God bless you. I, I, you know, I hope that you are treated fairly, no matter no matter what room you walk into. We would never want to see these people attacked or or, or treated differently because they have a psychiatric disorder, right? We want a world that's kind. Um, but then when you require that as a part of your psychiatric disorder, I have to pretend I have one, right? So you walk right. into the room and you're and you're schizophrenic, Megan, and and then you think you know, that I'm a tiger, that I have to then roar and pretend that I'm a tiger. Uh, no, I don't play that game, right? So I, I have to, can I don't acknowledge that you're actually a biological male and I have to pretend that there's no differences. And the way I have to pretend is by using, by the way, uh, grammatically incorrect words like they, them, we'll call you they, like, you know, they got the babies. Can I tell you that they, them thing upsets what? me. That one's taken. I'm, that pronoun is I taken. I majored in it's, English, exactly. It's I, I confusing. In English. You can't make me do this. Like, it's just, it's, it's really wrong, <laughs> but they don't care. They don't care to teach people how to be right. They care to pe that people feel good. And this is what the education system has become. And I just actually covered this in my most recent episode, um, which was inside the education system in America, is that the education system is obsessed with making kids feel good, even though they know nothing, right? So you don't know how to put together a proper sentence. You're using words like they to describe a singular person. They, they don't care because as long as you feel good and your self-esteem feels good, there's actually never been a time in America, this is a very interesting fact, there's never been a time in America where we have had more degrees and yet kids are actually getting dumber. According to standardized mm -hmm. test scores, we've never had this many dumb kids with so many degrees. Why are we handing out degrees <laughs> in categories like you can now get a, you can get a degree in social justice. You can get a bachelor's degree in social justice. You can get a bachelor's degree in Latin X. Again, something, Megan, that did not oh exist 10 years ago. Okay. Well, I don't <laughs> know what Latinx is, Megan. I don't know what it I is, don't either. but I do know that every romance language, you would have to radically transform the entire language because everything is either a male or a female in Spanish, right? La mesa is the table. You cannot just say that the Spanish language no longer exists because you're so woke. Right. So you can get a degree, Megan, in Latin X studies. Now, what the hell are you going to do with a degree, a master's degree, a bachelor's degree in Latin X studies? I'll tell you what you're going to do, Megan. You're going to become a failure. You're not going to make any money. You're going to become no, bitter and angry anything. at the world because the education system told you that you knew so much. And yet mm -hmm. you can't even make as much money as the guy who didn't go to school, but knows how to fix an AC because he has real skills. 
the plumber is going to make more money. And you're going to think you're so above these people because you spent your whole life being told by teachers that you're amazing and you're woke and you're brilliant. But in reality, you know nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now And now we're leaning into knowing nothing and trying to say, sort of say it's the system's fault. It's the, If you don't understand anything and you can't compete because you're actually not trying that hard or you know you don't understand that despite whatever disadvantages life has dealt you, there is a way forward. Look, there's so many examples of it. I mean, I was tweeting recently about Ben Carson. He's one that comes to mind. Single mom, dad abandoned them, had a second family, had no money, mom couldn't read, found his way out because the message in his family was personal responsibility, personal responsibility. And now, of course, it's all, it's the system's fault. And just just um, the other day, there was a cartoon. I don't know if you saw this going around online. It was sent out by um, Jamal Bowman in New York. And his his words were, um, and he's he's black. His words were our edu- our education system, and the problem was standardized testing. And the cartoon that he tweeted to show our the problem with standardized testing shows a teacher sitting outside at a desk, and in front of him are a monkey, an elephant, a penguin, a goldfish, a seal, a dog, a bird, all standing in front of a tree. And he says, for a fair selection. Everybody has to take the same exam. Please climb that tree. So, so if you don't, if you, if you don't do well in math or social studies, it's basically analogous to a goldfish not being able to climb a tree. And it's, it's once again that his message is that minorities, black students, that's the implication here, they just can't do it. They're, at, they're being asked to do things they can't do. And you know what I will say? I, I used to hold the position that systemic racism doesn't exist because there's nothing stopping me from doing anything in society that you can do as a white woman. But actually, I've changed my mind. I think systemic racism does exist because of what you just talked about is systemic racism. They're systematically teaching black kids nothing, right, but emotional learning. And at the same time, giving them fake accolades, fake awards, fake degrees. And so what they're actually doing is intentionally dumbing down an entire group of people, right? When, when kids are going into school and they're not learning hard academics, when they're saying that well, standardized test doesn't even matter, when you're saying some affirmative action, which is a fundamentally racist policy, right? You just put you into schools. You don't have to take standardized tests. We're just going to pass you. They're, in California, there's, they're, they are, they're proposing that uh, teachers should no longer fail Black students that don't show up, right? So they're no longer allowed to suspend or fail Black students that don't show up. Well, what the hell is going to happen to these black students, Megan, um, when, when they get out into the real world and they've just been handed A's on the basis of being black their entire lives? What's going to happen when they enter the free market society? They're going to become systematically produced failures, right? So if you're looking for systemic racism, it exists in these concepts of seeing these fake concepts of seeing white supremacy everywhere. It exists in critical race theory, which is mass producing failures. That's interesting. You know, I mean, I used to think, Candace, that they would fail. People who continue to tell the message, uh, you know, embrace the message of like, the system has to bend to to help me, somebody who maybe is disadvantaged, maybe doesn't, you know, whatever, doesn't try as hard, who knows, but for whatever reason, um, sees themselves as a victim of the system, that, that eventually the system will eat that person, because if they just lean into their victimhood and say, I'm not empowered to do anything to change my life, uh, it doesn't usually end well for them. But it right. does seem like things are changing now to where the, the, the people who work hard the people who are trying, who over even minorities who overcome some of these challenges, um, they'll wind up in the short end because you you can put all that work into bettering yourself and still be told, no, 
we're going to pay Ibram X. Kendi millions of dollars a year to spew this nonsense. And mm. and he can make something of his previously useful, useless degree, right? Like suddenly your Latinx degree is worth something because these school systems are willing to pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars to spew that nonsense here. And you can get into these great positions if you if you tow the narrative. The only career path is to become a professor, right, at a university and, and teach the same nonsense that you learned from the generation. But that's only so many jobs, right? So you or, get you get racial, one professor, yeah, a DEI person at a school, maybe run for Congress and end up like AOC, you know, and spew, and spew nonsense like that. That's very limited career opportunities. At the end of the day, the majority of these people are going to become failures because no one's going to pay them to come in and teach them about Latinx studies. No one's going to come in and say, "Oh, you have a degree in gender studies." Like, I mean, what does that get you? There's two genders. I mean, this should be this should be taught day one in school, you know, in kindergarten. And you have a, somehow did four years studying this, uh, you know, in, at university level. And that's what's happening. You're creating a generation of emotional failures. They're coming out of college today and they're complaining because they're so convinced that they deserve more money. Right. That they why is it so hard for them to get jobs? And it really is because they have no practical skills and that mm-hmm. turns them into bitter angry activists want to know who it is that has the time to go out and and protest and riot and loot for seven weeks on end a bunch of failures they don't have jobs you know what i mean in so many cases white people it's rich white people antifa yeah with a bunch of degrees i mean the the couple that threw even the molotov cocktail and the police cruiser in new york i mean these were graduates from from princeton you know what? I'm, even the yeah, top right. tier schools, David Hogg is going to Harvard. I mean, I, that's something that never ceases to amaze me. The fact that yeah, the, David Hogg is going to Harvard survivor. just because he's woke. Just because he's woke. He's, he's, right. he's not an extraordinary student. And he just said, oh, you, great. You're on CNN. We're, we're, we're going to put you in a school. So you're just you're now just giving people degrees for being woke, you know, because you want well, he, to take away your guns. I mean, He's somebody like Greta Thunberg, who yeah. you know has become very politically active, and then, but now, if you if there's any pushback to their positions, you get shamed as you know going after a survivor of a, of a gun attack, you know, or a, a you know a mass shooting, in the case of yeah. Hogg, or you know Greta, who's got some some mental health struggles that have been well documented. Anyway, it's you know they they want to use those things as a shield, but they right. set them to the side immediately when they want to act. In a, in a way that's much more sword-like and the rest of us will sit back and say, oh, we're not allowed to respond. But, you know, we are. And one of the things I've seen you do, but you don't care. I mean, you'll, you'll go after anybody who yeah. speaks nonsense, <laughs> which I love. And uh, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. And you actually get people to respond to you like Cardi B, which I do want to ask you about. But can you just tell us what happened? Because you were on fire recently about, it was basically some white guy who tweeted a KKK hat at you. Yeah. What happened? So I had this guy who's been running for Congress in California for two years. He has sent just vitriolic tweets my way, and I just ignored it. You know, he's one of these Democrats that is very sure that Black Americans are not allowed to be Republicans. And hilariously, he's also a historian. So you'd think that he would kind of explore that historically, that it was, you know, we talked about the Klansmen. They were hanging and burning crosses on the yards of Black American Republicans. It was Republicans that that were being lynched uh, throughout the South because Republicans were the ones that freed the slaves. Republicans were the ones that obviously fought for Black Americans to have rights, to have civil rights. All the Democrats contested them. But this guy is running for Congress. And on this day, he was upset that I had tweeted when Asian Lives Matter was trending. I decided to do what I always do, look at the FBI statistics. Asian Lives Matter is trending and they're saying that we need to tackle white supremacy. Well, guess what, Megan? It turns out that actually Asian Americans are being attacked 
Um, the number one violent offenders against Asian Americans are Black Americans, similar to Black Lives Matter, right? This whole theory that white supremacy needs to be stomped out, billions of dollars raised for this idea, this trending hashtag. But actually, Black Americans are the number one, you know, 95% of Black Americans that are killed are killed by other Black Americans. So, of course, we're not actually looking to fix the issue because then it goes against the narrative. You wouldn't be talking about white supremacy, you would be talking about why Black Americans um, are are the, the biggest perpetuators of violent crimes in this country, despite being only 13% of the population, we account for over 50% of the violent crimes in this country. Now, those are just the facts. You know what I mean? You may not like the facts. It may not make you feel good about hearing those facts because it seems so counter to the narrative that we're all oppressed. We're just these innocent people that are constantly being attacked. And of there are root causes to those facts. Sure, we can have a real discussion about the culture issues in Black America, but nobody wants to have that because they want to score political points. And it listed these FBI statistics. And this guy became enraged and he sends me a picture of a Klansman hood and, and says, here, you know, you dropped this. And he sends it to me. And I just think to myself, the idea of a white man sending a black woman a Ku Klux Klan hood, this hood means nothing to him. It means a lot to me because my grandparents raised me, as ever, you know, most people know. My grandfather uh, was branded by the KKK in his youth. The Ku Klux Klan was a very real thing that we discussed at our, at our dinner table every night, um, you know, in, in regards to his childhood. You know, they chased my grandfather down. They sprayed bullets in his home at night. These were real people that terrorized my grandfather, who is still alive, in the segregated South. And now this Democrat congressman is just so upset that a black person isn't acting as he thinks a black person should act, that he feels comfortable even Googling it. I mean, imagine, Megan, what would make inspire you to Google an image of a Klansman hood to save <laughs> that image on your phone and then to send it to a black person? I mean, oh and he, couldn't, he couldn't understand why it was wrong. He's like, no, no, but she's racist. She's a racist, but I'm here to save black people by Googling this image of a Klansman hood and throwing it at her. And you know what? And I said, you know what? I'm done with this. And I contacted the police and, you know, he's now done the video. He stepped away from politics completely. So after two years of harassing me, I filed the police report against him. Um, and, and he realized very quickly that there are consequences for your actions. I'm tired of black Republicans in this country having to deal with real actual racism coming from white Democrats in the name of saving black people. And they, and they just yes. can't understand you are the racist. Oh my God. That is brilliant. Good for you. I think I'd speak on behalf of my whole audience. Good for you. Because that's the thing is like, as I was saying, Gloria Steinem, you know, she, she loves all women unless they're Republican. Right. And it's the same thing <laughs> with these white liberals that they, they they're totally, you know, in in on board and in favor of black people unless they're Republicans, unless they're conservatives. And then you can say whatever you want about them. You can use the right. Uncle Tom term. You can use the worst terms than that. Do whatever you want. And in fact, they do. They will. And it's no problem whatsoever. So nobody's making the point. You're, no one's like the, the, their objections to some of that behavior on the part of conservatives writ large, but no one's actually doing anything like fighting back in that right. way to, to stop it. Yeah. And, and that's what I felt. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take this as far as it needs to be taken because people need to understand I, we're tired of dealing with this. You're, you should not be allowed to be openly racist. I mean, could you imagine if Republic, like if Ted Cruz, you know, Googled oh. a Ku Klux Klansman hood oh and God. sent it to a black Democrat, <laughs> you know, you know, sent oh. it to Sheila Jackson or Maxine Waters. Could you imagine? The whole world oh would God. implode, you know, oh. they'd be called. So, you know, he did post a video and he's completely 
pulled back from the Democrat party. He's no longer running. He was, you know, running. And so he's completely stomped out. And I wanted to also fire that shot as a warning, you know, to these white Democrats that for whatever reason are feeling the authority to speak to me in that direction that I'm not playing around with this stuff anymore. You know, if you're going to be racist and you're going to play by your own rules. Yes. Well, it's great. I mean, we talked about this last time, but I mean, you testified before Congress and um, you had two white women there trying to, I, is it white splain? <laughs> trying to white splain to you. about, yeah. And you were like, hey, you know what? Like if somebody else were doing this to if, if it were like a white Republican doing this to a black Democratic woman, you would never allow that. Right. Like you don't get to lecture me on what it's like to be black and the plight of yeah. black people sitting over there with your lily white skin. And yeah. And by the it was way, a thing of beauty. Of meaningless degrees, speaking of meaningless degrees, that woman. Kathy Ballou was her name, I believe, right? She had master's degrees, a doctorate in white supremacy. Talking about meaningless degrees. <laughs> this woman has spent something like 12 years in school learning about white supremacy. And she's so sure of herself, so sure of what she knows, that it never occurred to her that maybe you can't learn how to be black in a book, that maybe the closest she would ever get to really understanding it would be to ask the black person sitting to the left of her what they're actually experiencing. But she needs me to understand <laughs> that she's writing a book, what it's like to be black. And I, therefore, am doing it wrong. I mean, this is the kind of, you know, <laughs> the idiocracy that, that's going on in this country right now. They're just giving it's them degrees true. for nothing and you're mass producing a bunch of idiots. Up next, we're going to talk about the latest in the trial of Derek Chauvin and what Candace thinks ought to happen to that officer accused in the death of George Floyd. But before we get to that, We're going to bring you a feature that we have here on the program called Asked and Answered, where we try to address some of our listener mail and uh, the questions that are on your minds. So Steve Krakauer monitors the account for us. He's our executive producer and he's got the latest. Hey, Steve. Hey, Megan. This comes to us uh, from our email address, questions at devilmaycaremedia.com. If you'd like to get your question answered, like Jenny Price is here today. So she wants to know, she said she's heard you refer to the fact that your three kids were conceived using IVF. And like so many women, and she's in her early 40s trying to conceive her second child through IVF. And she'd love to hear your thoughts about IVF because it seems to be a really taboo subject. And she says, I think a lot of women struggle with the loneliness of feeling like they can't do something that other women can with seemingly little effort. Mm, that's a good question. You know, thank you for that. I I think it's important to talk about because can I tell you, I did not talk too much about it when it was actually happening because when closer to the event, I did feel some of that public pressure, like there's something wrong with you if you have to if you have to go another route, right, to get pregnant. And like there's definitely people who judge you for waiting too long. Well, it's like I don't I only met my husband we didn't we only got married when I was 37. I had my first kid when I was 38. So it's like, yeah, sometimes love and life doesn't deliver you the person you want to have children with until later in life. I don't know. There is a stigma around it. And it's kind of BS because, first of all, there are ways to do it, to be conscientious if you don't wish to create extra embryos. We were in the fortunate position of not having to worry about that. So I was grateful. We used all the embryos that we made. But I do think, you know, that quest for for wanting a baby so desperately can be overwhelming. And I know how it is because when you want to get pregnant and you can't get pregnant, all you see around you are pregnant women. They're everywhere. You never even notice them when you're just a regular civilian. But when you put on your mom-to-be eyeglasses, all you can see are moms-to-be at every corner of your life, and it can be depressing. You know, that the the desire to have a child can be totally overwhelming, and it's unlike any other desire I've ever had in my life once it kicks in. Uh, Because I'm somebody who didn't even know if I wanted kids for the first uh, 10 years of my career. 
Um, and certainly my first marriage, I didn't think I wanted them. But anyway, bear in mind, it's much more frequent than people admit to, right? A lot of people do it and they keep it on the down low. There are lots of techniques that can help you get pregnant short of IVF as well, though not, not as close to a guarantee. IVF's not a guarantee, but it's, it's the closest thing we've got. And to know this, if it doesn't work out, there are amazing, meaningful options awaiting you. Not only are donor eggs a possibility, and I know people who have used donor eggs, and it's a wonderful choice because if you can't produce the eggs that you need to, it it still allows you to carry your own baby. And the baby's yours 100%. It's yours 100%, right? And adoption. I had very good friends in Virginia who tried, they were both lawyers, tried very hard to get pregnant, couldn't do it. She was older. You know, we're all advanced maternal age when we're, you're like over 29, basically. I don't know what the age is, but I see that on all my charts, AMA. I'm like, what, what the hell does that stand for? So she was struggling because she was AMA and ultimately couldn't get pregnant. And they wound up adopting a baby and she really struggled with it. You know, people want, they want, I think, to, their biological child or something primal about that need. And really thought it was going to be a thing. And um, long story short, she wound up adopting that daughter and then a second daughter, she and her husband. It's not a thing. It's not. Um, you, the fact that the child's not biologically yours is totally forgotten just as soon as you embrace the child. And I have another great friend of mine from childhood who's got a daughter. Like The fact that this child wasn't carried inside of you and wasn't birthed by you um, and, and doesn't share your genes, it's irrelevant to your love for them, the joy of having a child in your life, the fun of raising a child, the challenges of raising a child, all of it. And I just think if anything, adoption gets a, a worse rep than it should. Not, not to say it's easy. You know, it's, that, that can also be nerve wracking and, you know, painstaking for parents, but it's worth it. All of it is worth it. And once you, if you get that blessing of getting pregnant and getting the child or adopting a child, it's like all the struggles forgotten. In the same way you forget childbirth, you forget this too. You know, and uh, I just think of all the things that have meaning in my life, of all the things that have brought me joy in my life, there's nothing quite like children. You know, there's just nothing quite like that love and holding them and seeing them smile and their silliness and the youth it brings back into your own life and the, the reliving of joys that you had when you were a child. That That's another gift they bring to you. So it's worth trying, even though it can be a painful, painful process. And I'll just tell you one funny story before I go about my own IVS, uh, IVF experience. I was down at the beach. You know, we go to New Jersey in the summers um, there. And, and a woman I met who was super sweet, I really liked her, came over to me and she was like, you know, I, I'm a fan and I've read your book. And um, I just want to tell you, I, I feel kind of close to you. And I, in particular, feel kind of close to Thatcher. And I was like, oh, how, why? He's our youngest. He's seven. And she was like, well, I was in the room with you when he was conceived. <laughs> like, what? Uh, so she was one of the doctors. I used this guy named Dr. Jamie Griffo for my IVF, but she was another doctor, young and I, maybe in training or just starting out. And she was apparently in the room. And uh, I am like, so, so what you're saying is you've seen my badge. <laughs> Leave it to me to go right to the nine-year-old boy humor. And uh, she laughed and confessed she had. And uh Anyway, it's just sort of now it becomes a fun memory. It'll be a fun thing to explain to them when they're older. Uh, so my advice is keep trying and know that, look, ideally, you've got a meaningful partner already. 
And that too can be a massive source of joy in one's life. So God forbid it doesn't work out. If that's not God's plan for you, um, enjoy what you do have. Because, you know, as they say, love is love. Thanks for the question. I do want to get your thoughts on what we're seeing now with George Floyd and the Chauvin trial. Um, I've been following it as a legal matter and very open-minded to how this is going to go. You know, I know people have different opinions. I heard Ben, our mutual friend and, and now your colleague, Shapiro saying the other day, he thought this was a very uphill battle for the prosecution. I actually don't think that. I think um, if I had put money on it, I would definitely put it on the prosecution side. Um, but it could go either way. It, the, the defense has a real defense and they're starting to lay it out now in terms of George Floyd's drug level and what he, what did he actually die of? And the initial medical report suggested he died not of a, a knee on the neck. So anyway, we'll, we'll watch it play out. But of course, as you know, Candace, in any of these cases, we see that the typical, typical race baiters, including Al Sharpton, show up to the scene, never, never misses an opportunity to exploit and mislead. This is the same guy who's still saying that hands up, don't shoot happened in the Michael Brown case. A lie, according to Eric Holder. You don't have to believe Megyn Kelly. Eric Holder said it was a lie. He's still out there being treated like an authority. We have a, a butted soundbite of Al Sharpton and Benjamin Crump, who's sort of a he's, he's drafting in the lane behind Sharpton right now. Uh, and I think representing the Floyd family in all of this. But listen to what they said. Shaven is in the courtroom, but America's on trial. America's on trial to see if we have gotten to the place where we can hold police accountable if they break the law. Today starts a landmark trial that will be a referendum on how far America has come in its quest for equality and justice for all. So America is on trial. And, and you, you know, you tell me, my prediction is America, in his view, is going to lose either way. Yep, exactly. And if America was on trial, did we not already suffer the consequences when they burned virtually every city across America for six weeks after George Floyd's death? You know, like, can we can we get out of prison about this already? And, and, and here's what I will say. I very much agree. Um, and I want to be clear that Derek Chauvin, in my opinion, is guilty of manslaughter. Like, there's no question he's guilty of manslaughter. Like, I believe, based on the uh, the full tape of what happened, you know, which was barely released, you know, they did not want to get out and somebody leaked it to the Daily Mail. And when you watch yeah. the full tape, it's very clear that he ingested drugs while he was sitting in his car, right? It's very clear according to his toxicology reports, he was dying of drug overdose and he, he said he couldn't breathe before he even got put on the ground. He asked to be put on the ground, actually, which people don't know. It's because the media did not widely report it because they had their narrative. He was saying, I can't breathe. He was already on the ground. and was asking to get off him. But actually, he was saying, I can't breathe. He was saying he was claustrophobic. They tried to put him in the car. He was already properly arrested. You know, but this was a man that was having, he ingested some some drugs. The woman that called 911 said he's acting like he's on drugs. He's acting weird. So I don't know what's going on. This was a man that was high out of his mind and died of a drug overdose. But could he have gotten the help that he needed if Derek Chauvin was not, you know, on the ground uh, holding him with the knee to the neck? There was time in which he could have gotten medical attention. You could, that, that's a much stronger argument to make that he's guilty of manslaughter. Um, and that, you know, it, it was a horrible practice to, to not just say this man is, you know, completely incapacitated. I'm not, this, I'm not helping. 
clearly not helping by putting my knee on his neck and standing here uh, while he's saying he can't breathe. So um, there's two elements. I think that, you know, Derek Chauvin is guilty of, of manslaughter. I would be comfortable with that charge. He, he is not the reason that George Floyd had an overdose. Both, both of these things can be true, right? The problem is that, and, and this is kind of, I'm sure what Ben Shapiro is getting at, I haven't heard his assessment, is that right now they're trying to get him on third degree murder. That's not going to happen, in my opinion. And because people don't understand the difference and why it was wrong to trump up these charges, you know, a third degree murder charge would be, you know, uh, Derek Chauvin went out that day because he wanted to kill George Floyd and he killed him because he wanted to kill him and nothing else was involved. Right. He if that does not happen. And I don't think it's likely. And he does not meet the third degree charge. You're going to see riots all across America. And, and so I'm like, why are we setting this up? Why not just get him? For what you know you can get him on, manslaughter, right? Being a crappy police officer who could have done a thousand different things and sit and then stand on his neck for nine minutes and go this route if you don't want there to be mass race riots across America. So I say no matter what, we're gonna lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Society is going to lose. It's a long, it's a longer issue, and people should listen to, to Ben's podcast just in general because it's awesome. But uh what he was trying to say is that um and it's, it's we we got into this on our Chauvin show from the, uh, last Wednesday, which people should listen to as well because uh, we fleshed it out. But the, the long and the short of it is he's been charged with second degree murder, third degree murder and manslaughter. Second degree murder is it's essentially felony murder. You can they're saying you committed an illegal assault and in the course of that, somebody died. And um, Ben's feeling is unless his position is unless unless they can prove he intended the assault because it, they have to prove he intended to assault him. Um, they're not going to be able to prove the felony part of felony murder. It's like when someone dies in the course of you committing a felony. And so he doesn't think they're going to be able to prove that. And then a third degree murder is more like you have to, it has to be like a a depraved indifference to a a risk to society. And as I was saying the other day, it's like when you shoot into a crowd of people, that's depraved indifference. Um, I don't think it applies here at all, but the Minnesota appeals court disagrees with me and says that they had to, that the judge had to let them charge it. So we'll see what the jury does with that one. I mean, that one's they, the courts have already had their say on whether that one applies. And then there's manslaughter, which does seem to fit perfectly. They can right. decide whether whether he should be convicted, but it fits perfectly. It's it's basically negligence that is so beyond the pale that it's criminal. Right. Um, that, and, and that, I think that's can, what I think everybody agrees that happened. You know, I think that that yeah. charge you know will likely go through. But second degree murder, third degree murder. I just because I've seen the full tape and I he asked to be put on the ground. They were never going to put him on the ground. Um, it just creates an uphill battle in the courtroom. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people don't understand that he he was saying repeatedly, I can't breathe before Derek Chauvin even got there. I mean, it's like right. before he even got there, while he was still upright, while the police were just asking right. him to get into the police guard saying, we'll unroll the windows and we'll put on the air conditioning for you. He's like, I'm claustrophobic, man. I can't be in the car. I can't like, you know, even though he just came out Me- of the meanwhile, car. Meanwhile, I mean, <laughs> meanwhile, yeah, exactly. He was just in his car. He was in his car right. with the doors drugs. closed. Yeah. Uh, right. Being so weird. it's like and the officer's going, why is he acting weird? Why, what's he doing? What's he doing in there? I mean, and right. the problem is, is that the, the, the actual full length tape has not been seen by all Americans. Just that nine minutes of Derek Chauvin on his neck. So they yeah. are operating uh, with very limited knowledge of what actually took place. Well, but what do you think? Because my, my, I think legally the case actually could go either way. I mean, I, I would not be surprised to have a jury come back and actually even say not guilty. Uh, it would be extraordinary given the amount of political pressure that's definitely lurking in that courtroom, whether it should be or not. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I think they'll probably come back with a conviction and I don't know what of. But what do you, if the conviction is of, let's say, just manslaughter, um, 
which has at most, I think, a, the, the sentencing guidelines would, would make the max uh, 61 months. Um, that's not going to be enough for the people who want to see Derek Chauvin fry. That's what they want to see. I mean, you got people well, like that moron Chelsea home. Handler. She's out there yeah. saying, and I, I hate to quote this moron, so forgive me for even bringing up the moron Chelsea Handler. But she did tweet out, so pathetic that there's a trial to prove Chauvin killed George Floyd when there's a video of him doing so. Who the hell's still listening to Chelsea Handler? She's an idiot moron. She's a stupid ass comedian who's never said anything helpful, who's running around quoting Louis Farrakhan, right? Who is like the biggest anti-Semite we have living today. Anyway, digression. But what's going to happen if if there's a conviction on a lesser charge or a not guilty verdict? Yeah, I mean, she looks she's Chelsea Handler is, is completely out of her mind. I mean, she's she's not a stable woman. And she's talked about her instability by saying she had to go on pills the whole time Trump was president. That's not a stable woman. So please don't take <laughs> no, your cues not. from a person who needs to be medicated, depending on who's in office. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that aside. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You're going to see more of these woke idiots who know absolutely nothing about law legalities trying to lead a herd of other woke idiots to think that no matter what happens, the conclusion is is unjust and you need to riot. So look, it's it's going to be a bad day in Minnesota, uh, no matter what. In my opinion, I don't see how this doesn't end up in rioting. And and these people are who get you know get paid like these idiots like Al Sharpton to say this stuff are doing nothing to help it. They're just drumming up, trying to drum up more pressure on. Um, uh, on these jurists. And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of them are scared for their lives. They're scared uh, to look at this cl- at this case clearly because the public doesn't have the same facts they will be presented with that trial. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of have to, to hold your breath and fully expect, I, I'm going into this expecting rioting and looting. So. Yeah, me too. Either way. And, and, and even if they convict him of the maximum and they impose a big sentence, it's going, that's too is going to be an indictment of America. So America's not going to come out well in the view of Al Sharpton no matter what it, it never does. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, the other crimes that we've been watching. Cause you've been, this, this always makes me feel uncomfortable. I gotta be honest. When we, when we sort of point to black crime as, I don't know, a- evidence of anything, I start to feel uncomfortable. You know, I, I never, I try never to never tweet out like, black people behaving terribly as evidence of like, where's the national story about this? Because it's just like out of context. And it's to me that gins up racism that makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know. Um, but we we have seen some shocking crimes. Um, one, the D.C. carjacking of this Uber Eats driver, Mohammed Anwar, uh, last week. And then the other, this attack on this 65 year old Asian woman in midtown Manhattan by 38 year old black man named Brandon Elliott. Um, by the way, the guy killed his own mother in 2002, was out on parole. I don't know if we should be paroling people who kill their mothers. Um, and people are asking, I think legitimately, where's the national outrage about those cases, right? About the, the teenage girls who, who carjacked Muhammad, killed him, dragged him in his own car to his death. And this other guy who just randomly, just, I mean, the Asian woman's pelvis is broken. She's on her way to church. You, they don't make these national news stories, Candace. We don't, they run it on the local news and that's the end of it. I mean, listen, I mean, I, I appreciate that you feel uncomfortable because it, it, people will you know, assign racial undertones to it. When, and the very people that always want to point out race when these things happen. But the truth is the truth. The truth is the truth. Right. And, and we, we have to be able to discuss the truth or there's never going to be a solution. Right. So pretending that black Americans are not the most murderous, which is factually the most the most murderous and the most violent offenders in America are black Americans, right? And it pains me to say it. I'm a black American, right? So it's not, it's not something 
I'm proud of, right? But it is the truth. And if we could at first acknowledge the truth in society and stop with this mass brainwashing where people say, oh, you know, number one, white men. Oh, let me guess, another single white men, white men, white men, white men. It, there is just no data or facts to, to, to back that up. You, you can't, we keep talking about white supremacy. And in my opinion, the reason we keep talking about white supremacy is because they don't actually want to fix what is happening in Black America, which does need to be addressed. Now, if you want to present an argument on top of that, which people will do and say, oh, well, you know, maybe the reason Black Americans are the most murderers is because of the history and living in the projects and all of this stuff. I'd rather have that honest discussion than to pretend that white supremacy is an issue facing this country, right? I'd rather uh, you try to diagnose why it is that Black Americans are the most murderous group in America, why we are why we are the most violent racial group in America, than for you to pretend that we're not, okay? Because one mm. says, okay, we've at least we're talking about it. Talking about it is, is the first step to calming, coming up with a solution, even alcoholic AA, right? The first step is admitting you have a problem, right? Um, we can't get to the first step in this country because people are so afraid to talk about that because they get castigated, you know, they get accused of being a racist by looking at, at pure statistics. Um, and, and, and there is a cultural issue that under, that is the undertone of all of this. And it is being aided and abetted by a dishonest media narrative where they only tell you the race of the offender if the offender is white, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you will see white man shoots up store, but then they'll just say man shoots up, you know, man goes on shooting spree if it's a black man. And it is it is way more likely to be a black man than to be a man of any other race. It's like the um the Atlanta, you know, massage parlor murders where the guy, you know, he was he was white and everybody said, oh, it's a white supremacist and he's unleashing this anti-Asian hate-driven violence. And then he came out and said it was actually more of a sex thing. There's sex workers, you know, massage mm -hmm. parlors have these sort of, you know, sex workers in them at, at, from time to time. And that's what it was about. And the story went away immediately. It was like, first, yeah. we, we spent two days talking about how that can't be true. It has to be about the people being Asian. And then the story went immediately away. And the story about, you know, the black man in New York and the video is horrible. Let me tell you, I haven't worked in TV for a long time. When you have, we call it hot video, whether it's disturbing or not, you call it hot video. Um, when you've got hot video, you air it. And then, yep. and if this had been a white man doing this to this 65-year-old Asian woman, it would have been on loop. It would have been on loop. 24-7 to make the point about white supremacy, as you just said. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 by the way, like, and I, again, I want to harp on the fact that what we are talking about are actual statistics. Statistics cannot be racist, right? So I'm looking at right now a chart of the estimated number of arrests by offense and race of 2019, right? So in, in 2019, there were 11,060 arrests for murder and manslaughter, right? Of those 11,060 arrests, 5,660 were black people. 5,070 were white people. That's a dramatic disparity because black people are only 13% of the population. White people are 60%. And yet we, we are committing more murder and non-negligent manslaughter according to these statistics. These are stats and, and we have to okay. fix it. And this is why you know you had brought up earlier how I get into these debates with Cardi B and all of these people because I understand and in Black America, we have a culture that is, is is very quickly starting to tread towards celebrating degeneracy, right? And then going, I'm shocked, right? I'm absolutely shocked that this is that these are the statistics. Well, you have a woman, and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm switching here to talk about Cardi B, who just won Woman of the Year by Billboard, right? This is a woman who has admitted that she robbed and drugged men throughout her life to get what she wanted. 
she's on tape talking about it. And yet they, they go, oh, that's totally fine. Doesn't matter. We're going to give her Grammys. We're going to put her on the main stage and we're going to let her be halfway naked. How can we fix anything if we refuse to address the truth and talk about the problems that we have mm-hmm. a sick culture right now, not just in black America, you know, all throughout America, it's getting pretty bad. Um, but I, I harp on black America because uh, this stuff trickles down and, and there, there are just, we disproportionately represent the crime statistics. I do want to say you're right about casual crime. I shouldn't have casual meaning just like not hate crimes, not, not motivated by race, uh, the stats you just said. But I, I should point out that the FBI says when it comes to actual hate crimes, crimes motivated by the ethnicity of the target in 2019, most were white. It was a 2005 anti-Asian attacks where the person's race was known, the attacker, where, where the race was known. 30, 30 of the 205 were black, 95 were white. So there is a distinction when it comes to... You say there's a distinction, Megan, but whenever a black person kills a white person, it's not called a hate crime. It's not a legal classification for it. Well, it has to be motivated by race to be a hate crime. And, and how do you know it's motivated by race? So this recent shooting, right, in, in, in against Asian Americans is, is being called a hate crime. But we know he was motivated by watching pornography. It just happened to be Asians yeah. that were in the salon. You and know, it's so not it's, a hate it's, crime. Only the media is calling it that. The cops are not investigating it as a hate crime because the, the, the truth is there isn't evidence of that. Right, right. That's that's absolutely right. But, you know, it, it seems to me to be, and I'd be very interested in what the legal classification is, but I've never heard of a crime executed against white people that classified as a hate crime. Jewish people, but not white people. I don't think there is a classification for white people that it's called a hate crime. Hmm. That's an interesting point. And it, that's, actually, that's a question. Have... You know, I, I've never heard of it. I've never heard of something called a hate crime executed against a white person. So I'll leave that as a question mark. I've just I've never heard of it ever. I'd have to look it just up seems the, to be um, called a crime, which, by the I way, to just l- to be clear, all crimes are hate crimes. You don't do something. You don't kill someone because yeah. you love them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. All right. So let me uh, let me round up on the Cardi B thing. So I just got back from the Bahamas. We went there on spring break with my family and um, I was walking by there. This place we go has this big, big, big marina and all these yachts come in from all over the world. And they're so fun to look at and try to get a peek into. And there was this huge yacht and all these people were on board and they were playing Cardi B. And I thought, oh, OK, I think I that's Cardi B. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, that's Cardi B. That there she was. She was there. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because I had to do my podcast there um, one day and and she I knew had been using the recording studio at some point. And I was like, oh, I hope I bump into her and I can ask her about Candace. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, I wish you would have. That would have been so great. It didn't happen. But like, can you explain how did things go off the rails between the two of you? Like she's she's been responding to you, which I do think is a testament to your power. Um, I know that you kind of you kind of thought it was bullshit that Biden sat with Cardi B. Like you can't find uh, somebody else who's more representative of the black community than Cardi B. Right. Things picked up again recently, like since then. So what happened? You know, it, it, it's one of those things. And, and Ben Shapiro, you know, accurately says that this is it, what they do often. And I say they I'm talking about the left. What they do often is that they do something that's so ridiculous and absurd that they're asking everyone to comment on it. Right. So Cardi B is walking down the street buying Starbucks. And I'm like, look at Cardi B buying Starbucks. And the conservatives start talking about it. That would be like, guys, what's wrong with you? Why, why are you clutching your pearls? Because a rapper is buying Starbucks. But what is she intending when she gets on stage half naked and grinds her crotch against another woman's crotch? She's attempting mm-hmm. to drum up conversation. She's project, you know, she wants to be perversive, subversive, and and she wants people to say, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that performance." She they really left left in the imagination. But then when we do it, 
they go, oh my God, I can't believe they respond. How could they possibly respond? It's like the ultimate gaslighting, right? Of like, you're doing something that of course is going to garner a conversation. So I went on Tucker Carlson. I go on the show once a week. I do not pick the topics. You, you know how it works at Fox News. They, they decide what topics yeah. are. And Tucker's team decided because of this, you know, offensive Grammys performance to discuss. They said, okay, your topic's Cardi B. And I talked, we actually, I actually had two topics. I spoke about her for 30 seconds. So was the rest of the world talking about this performance. You know, you were half yep. naked, humping another woman on stage. And, and yet this clip on Fox News really got under her skin because I called it a form of degeneracy and, and cultural uh, corrosion. Um, and, and so she tweeted about this for 12 hours before it even made my attention because I was so busy. And, you know, it, it really impacted her. And it's interesting. There is something about me providing commentary on her that gets under her skin particularly. Definitely. Because everyone comments on her, but there's something about me that upsets her. And when I think about what that is, it's because I think when Cardi B goes to sleep at night, she's not happy with what she's doing. She knows there's something wrong with what she's doing. Because if somebody says something about you, you know it's not true. You're like, I'm not, I don't care if you call me degenerate, I'm not degenerate. But she I think she actually lacks confidence, right? Because there really it really is a horrible way to live when the only way you can get attention, the only way you feel like you can be seen or be heard is that you have to take off your clothes, right? You have to talk about your vagina. I mean, I can think of nothing more demeaning than that. And yet they're trying to convince her that it's a form of empowerment by giving her these meaningless accolades. Like you're the woman of the year. You're this. We're going to list you as this. I don't think she's actually content with herself. And when she hears me sell it out, she hears a truth that she's very uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm in favor of talking about one's vagina in general. I think <laughs> I have no problem with had a very interesting conversation with Andrew Schultz about pubic hair, but she's <laughs> crass. I mean, she's really crass in the way she yeah. talks about it. and we're supposed to think it's empowerment. I've really tried to think about it like, OK, I don't feel empowered when I see that dance routine or I listen to that song. I feel grossed out. I feel like all right, this is so crass and so and it's just blue. Um, it it makes me uncomfortable, but then I think, all right, so maybe, maybe this is empowering for, you know, a black woman in particular who has, you know, been in a culture where she's treated as sort of second class to, to black men. And this is a way of her sort of saying, I'm in charge now, you know, I control you. You don't control me. You want me. I may or may not want you, but I'm the one, you know, sort of wearing no pants in the family. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I don't pretend that I understand the whole dynamic, but I do feel a little like, okay, I I am sort of this white woman of privilege and maybe I should just not comment on it. But and you're a black woman of privilege. You feel like maybe you don't get what why it's empowering for her. No, I mean, I'm I'm a black woman of privilege. Why? I came I came from absolutely nothing. Right. I came from the same place, but we, what we earned it, we worked hard, but that would make Cardi B by that metric, a black woman of privilege. So we're the same people, right? Mm. <laughs> we're the mm-hmm. same people. Cardi B is worth like, $26 million. Right. So uh, me, you and her should all now be considered in the same box. Um, and, and, and yet we are living a different life than she's living. And that's kind of that's kind of my point in all of this, which is just that, you know, Cardi B, you are now in a position of privilege. You can actually inspire women to do better. You know that living a life like that doesn't make you happy. You're not happy. You have a husband that openly cheats on you. You know, you're filing for divorce, not filing for divorce. You don't feel secure in your own home. You've talked about that multiple times. And guess what? That's a dead end career when you have to be more perversive than the last time. There's really only so perverse you can be. There's only so many, aside from being fully naked next time, 
right? I think she was in a thong and a bra. Uh, how much yeah. more attention are you going to garner on this path? I, I, I want Cardi B to be better. I don't dislike her. I think that she, she misunderstands that. I think it's great that she came from nothing and she made a living for herself. But I think she has to understand that now you've made it, right? You can, you can be a little more comfortable than to think that this is the only way you're ever going to pay attention to. Try just mm-hmm. being talented and not being controversial and, 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 and perverse to you're, you have a good point. It's like she's made it now. And by the way, she's definitely not in the same position that we're in because I was not on a yacht. I was, I was at a nice little <laughs> cottage. <laughs> but, that was um, but you raise a good point. It's like it would be wonderful if she could sort of set an example for all the millions of women who admire her. I mean, young girls in particular love Cardi B. Um, yeah. That like this doesn't have to be the way, you know, maybe maybe you could lean into classy and truly empowered and sex appeal is one thing sex appeal is awesome go for it but like it's it was just vulgar like what she did was Mm -hmm. vulgar i understand Mm -hmm. the need to like embrace a woman of color and say okay great you know but like that doesn't mean we have to sacrifice all societal standards and frankly i can relate to this a little bit myself because in a weird way i was in where i was in the place you're in with britney spears a long time ago yeah Um, she came out with the song uh if you seek Amy and when you sing it, it's F you seek yeah, Amy. Yep. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was bullshit because it's, it's played on terrestrial radio. It was at the time without any bleeping and all these little kids are singing along to it. And, you know, moms have mm-hmm. been saying, I really don't want my eight year old daughter singing that in the car. And so we did a segment on Fox news about it. Like this is kind of, I, I realize it's tongue in cheek, you know what she's doing here, but it, it doesn't feel appropriate to me. And by the way, now the whole narrative is like, poor Britney, she was totally exploited and she never knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing, right? I'm not saying that the press was great to her or that she wasn't exploited by her family and all that, but let's, let's not totally disempower Britney Spears from having had a hand in her own career and her own choices. Um, anyway, then it was funny because she did a video of the song in which somebody played me. So it was like the blonde newscaster being like, oh, the horror. It was like more of a cultural yeah. condemnation than I offered, but. It was hilarious because one day, somehow the actress who who played that part in her video was coming through Fox News, and one person on my team grabbed her. We did an interview of her, and she admitted she was told to play me. Yeah, <laughs> but I stand that by. It's like you have. Hilarious. You're right. Yeah. These people like they they put out these provocative songs, whether it's Britney or Cardi B, in, in an effort to get attention, in an effort to get you talking about them, and then when you do, it's like, yeah. oh, how dare you? Oh conservatives are clutching their pearls again. And it's like, yeah, because it's pornography, you know, and I appreciate that there are women that are actually porn actresses and I appreciate that, but at least they're not putting it on CBS, you know, the Grammys, ABC, right. like, you know, and, and this, it, it also, they say all the time, Cardi B, well, I'm not telling your kids to follow me. So she, they know it's wrong, right? She knows it's wrong because she's saying I'm not for kids and you need to watch your kids. You know that that is completely unreasonable. There's no person in the world that can watch their kids 24 hours a day. That is where culture mm-hmm. takes over. Your kids are going to go to school. Some other idiot's going to have Instagram and a smartphone. Some other idiot's going to play it for them on their AirPod and on their iPhone. They're going to go to a, a play date, right? Right now, you and I have been on, on this podcast for an hour. That means neither one of us right now is, knows what, what our kids are exactly looking at at this very moment, right? Because yeah. you, you have to trust them to be around other kids. You're not going to keep them in a bubble you know, all the time. So it's, it's to me uh, that I hate when they say that, like somehow well, the parents need to just deal with it. And I'm just going to be perverted and put it out into the world and into pop culture. Well, like you said, driving, it's on the radio. I mean, it's like, and, what do you want us right, to do? Right, so, 
So they're right. So they're on the radio and she showed up on the Grammys. And, and apparently that was the clean version, right? That was the clean yeah, version of that, was the clean of that version. song and the performance. So it's like, I, I would not watch the Grammys with my kids ever because you know, you're going to get very raunchy stuff. And I just don't even, but like I did watch a Super Bowl with them. And, you know, last year it was JLo and Shakira basically showing their vag back to the vagina conversation. They really were showing their vag. Like Shakira had a little strip right down the middle. And I saw vag. I did. And J-Lo was basically on a strip pole whole time. And I'm supposed to tell my daughter that's empowering, but it isn't. I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel empowered by that stuff either. And, and so I guess that makes us evil conservatives who are just clutching their pearls. It's just like, be something else. Be empowering. I don't have to agree with your politics. I think Oprah's empowering. I don't like the politics. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, this is a woman right. that came from nothing and made a career out of herself. And she's, you know, she's one of the greatest to ever do it um, in, in terms of interviewing people. I respect Oprah for that. I don't respect Cardi B. So there are other options for Cardi B. You can make music. You can be Beyonce. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, she's tremendously classy. Beyonce, exactly. She toes the line, right? Between like sexy and sex appeal in a way that makes you be like, yeah, I love it. It makes me want to sort of learn to dance like that and have better style in my life. Um, Right. And there's a difference between that and like feeling like you just opened up a hustler centerfold. Like, wow. That's exactly right. And that's what it feels like. And that right now culture feels like a hustler centerfold. Okay, so now you really do have to worry about it because you're a mother and that does make you look at the world in a different way and a much more, you know, like, okay, now I actually have to do something about things. It's not just about me and what could happen to me, but I have legal responsibility for this new person. Um, And I we talked about that a little bit while you were pregnant. Are you how is it like, are you still drowning in the new period of motherhood to be thinking that way or are you starting to think that way? Well, I will tell you, it feels like I didn't get much of a period of, you know, not being immersed fully in what's going on um, because I had to get right back to work. But what I will say is that I remember speaking to Ali Stuckey, who's a wonderful podcaster, um, and she said that that motherhood softened her. And I remember talking about she's like, motherhood will soften you. And I think everyone should have kids because it softens you in the right ways. Again, I'm having the exact opposite experience where it's hardened me (laughs) because now it's like, you know, before we can talk about this stuff, Megan, and it's like, I didn't have a kid. So it's like, I'm saying what I think is morally correct. Well, now the stakes are a whole hell of a lot higher because I have a child. So these conversations feel much more weighted when I'm talking about culture, when I'm talking about the LGBT agenda in the school. It's like, is my child going to grow up in the same America that I grew up in? Um, And so I'm much more tethered to that question and that reality that these conversations that we're having uh, they're very important. And the, the consequences of these discussions will be severe depending on what we land upon in society. So how are you doing it? I look back when when I first when I started the Kelly file, 2013, I had had Thatcher. I went back after nine weeks and I had a three year old when he was born. I had a three year old, a two year old, and then came Thatcher because uh, Yates is like just just under four years older um, than Thatcher. Anyway, my point is three really young kids. I go back to work and I was emotional. I mean, you still have a lot of hormones raging in your body, whether you want to have them or not. Um, there were definitely some tears and I had to go out there and do battle every night. And it was, it was bizarre for me because I was out of the home. So back at home, there was Doug, my husband. And what I now refer to as Downton Abbey, because we had to get, we had a nanny, we had a part-time babysitter. Um, and we had a housekeeper. Yes, I'll admit it. I don't, I'd like to people to know that I had to staff it up because I don't want people to think I just, oh, I just managed it all on my own. Oh, bullshit. I had money and I spent it. 
Um, so how yeah. are you doing it now? And are you having any of that emotional, you know, pull? You know, I haven't had the time to stop and be emotional. I will say that, um, which and in a way, I think kind of just put one foot in front of the other and go kind of helps just get back right, right back on the horse, you know, and the first couple of days, you're kind of in a haze. You're like, how the hell am I going to do this? But because I had this sort of hard stop, I had to start my new show. Yeah, I kind of just got right back on the horse. But uh, to what you just said, 1000%, let me tell you, when the baby nurse, we, the first couple of months shouldn't have a baby nurse. The third, you know, kind of now going into the third month, we do, we finally got help this last um, three weeks. And my goodness, mm -hmm. <laughs> being yes. able to sleep at night is a privilege. It's like, you know, honestly, I, I, at the beginning, we were like, oh, it's just, you know, it's expensive, you know, to have a baby nurse. It's, you know, where I live, it's about $25 an hour. And, but let me tell you, like, I, I think they could have forced me to pay $200 an hour for those eight hours. Like, you know, I mean, I would you take like, out a second mortgage. I would, have, I would have picked up a, yeah, I would have picked up a second job on the weekends, uh, to be able to afford a baby nurse because, you know, and Same. it is a, a sign of it's privilege, uh, you know, to be able to do that. But, you know, it's not because I'm just staying home at all, home all day doing nothing. It's because I have to get up and I have to work. Um, so, you know, we've been fortunate enough that we we're able to have that help as well. And, but I, I started pretending that things were normal and every week it feels more and more normal. So I kind of just got right back on the horse. Mm, that's good. That's good. I mean, I, I agree with you. I had a baby nurse too. People, people outside of like the main cities are like, what the hell is a baby nurse? And, and basically I think it's the, it's like the paid grandmother, you know, it's like it's I, it's a lot of us living. <laughs> yeah. Cause like I, my mom was too old to, to be the person who came and helped overnight with a baby that it was out of the question. Same with Doug's mom, frankly. And so it was like, well, if you want extra help, what are you going to do? Because you don't have anybody else living in your house. You got you, you got your husband. And you both would like to be well-rested, especially as you go on, have more kids because they need you too. So you yep. got to be, you got to have some, some gas in the tank. Anyway, um, our lady came at 11 p.m. and she left at 7 a.m. And a lot of my friends are like, oh, but you know, you want to nurse the baby. I'm like, I nurse the baby, but the baby nurse would get the baby and bring the baby to me. And then I'd nurse the baby. And if the baby had like a forever long crying spell, I'd do some, some time, but there'd be some relief. I could give the baby to the baby nurse. And she was like an angel yeah. and really helped her. And that, you know, this is yet another one of the things you get judged for. Yeah. I don't even wake up for the nursing. I, I, I do bottles during the night. Better. So I can literally sleep at night and I pump give the, the nurse, baby nurse, the bottles, and I can actually sleep those eight hours. It makes me a better person. It makes me a better wife and it makes me a better mother to be able to sleep. Um, so there's, and by the way, there's so much mommy shame. It's just all bull crap, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, every, every mother is doing something different. You have people that are stay at home and, and I don't even need to admonish that. It's very hard if you're a stay at home mom and you've got four kids, your job might be tougher than mine having to get to work. But, you know, so I, I nurse and I pump, I do a combination and, and getting those hours to sleep genuinely just makes me a better person. So, uh, it, well, it is what something. I do. It's not what everyone does, but I had a baby nurse with all three of my kids. We've had a nanny since my first son was born. My kids and I are totally in love with one another. Our relationship is 100% intact. Yes. If, it, like, don't let anybody shame you at it. Like, get the help you need. If you can afford it, it's a luxury. If you can't afford mm -hmm. it, try to find a family member or a friend or somebody, you know, if you can. You can help. But like, I, it, there's no reason to shame women out of doing what works for them. I mean, I, that's, that's the thing that pisses me off about like, so I used IVF for all three of my kids and I had a C-section with all my kids and it was awesome. I, I, I don't feel guilty. I still have three babies. It counts even if you do it by IVF and you have C-sections. And I won't be shamed by any of these weird feminazis who think if you're not breastfeeding your child till five, you're a bad mother. Right. I mean, the 
feminazi culture is, is so dangerous and it's so backwards. And it's again, not feminist because you should be supporting women in whatever capacity works for them. Everybody's yes. different. My sister had to have an emergency C-section and she couldn't nurse. And she felt so much guilt about that. You know, I was fortunate that I could nurse, um, you know, but I was never, I never in my head said, I'm not going to use formula if I needed to. I haven't needed it, but if I needed it, I would have done it. Um, everything's different and people, women should just, you know, support one another because we all know how difficult it is. We all know how those first weeks are. And when you're the only person the baby needs and the husband can't really help because you're it, he need, baby needs yep. you. Um, and, you know, we got through it and, and we're blessed and, and we have no regrets about anything that we've done. And by the way, in regards to the privilege of being able to afford, you know, babysitter, nanny, uh, uh, ho- housekeeper or whatever it is, I, I worked my butt off before I had a child. I did things the right way. I, you know, I, I wanted to save up. Uh, because I knew that because my career was important to me that I wanted to be able to say, you know what, I, I can afford a baby nurse if I need one. So I have no shame about that either. Hard work pays off. Same, same. I, I no regrets, but I do think it's important to talk about it because it's like, I don't, I don't like it when women are like, oh, six children in a full-time job and I just manage. Oh, bullshit. You got help. No, um, you had help. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of work and the new show, how is it going? So now we've had the big reveal. You've joined yeah. the Daily Wire. You're working with our mutual friend, Ben and moved to Nashville and are doing like a, I don't want to say softer show, but admit like a, a little softer, more, some more human interest topics and more, we learn more about you. Um, and it, it's lighter at times and funnier. And like, I just feel like we get more of the real Candace, but yeah, tell, tell me how you view it and why, why you made the move. Yeah, it's absolutely right. It, it is softer because I, the media has done this really good job of creating this caricature of me, which is like, I'm always angry, but it's, I always have to be on the defense because I have people sending me Klansman hoods because they just don't understand how I could be black and be a Republican. Um, but I'm you know much more lighthearted in my day-to-day life. I'm always joking. You know, me and my sisters, we come from a family of a lot of humor. We're always cracking jokes. Um, and I wanted people to really see who I am. And I, I am a fighter at times. And I'm definitely the person that if you challenge me on what I believe to be morally correct and true, I'm willing, you know, to, to lock horns about something. But I also like to, I think the best way to teach people is to have a sense of humor um, and to, more than anything, be able to give women advice and to give young people advice who are growing up in this increasingly toxic world. So, you know, this is sort of my advice column meets a panel meets, you know, hard hitting interviews and always, uh, you know, there's, there's always a, a bit of fun. Uh, and so I, it's, it's really, it really do describe it as all of the pieces of me. I write everything for the show. All of the content is mine. Um, you know, so we're, this is not like I'm being produced and they're saying, just go. It really is a collaborative process. And I'm informing each and every episode about topics that I think need to be covered because they're relevant. See, I, I, of course, understand the need to do something that just embraces more of your personality and isn't all hard edges. And my only piece of advice to you would be, do not hire anyone from NBC to produce your show. <laughs> <laughs> no Don't let them make to. you cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's so funny. They did initially the first episode. They said, we should get you to do a cooking segment. And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's what and I said. And then before I knew it, there I was. <laughs> I was like, do not my, recommend. my viewers and followers would be like, why is Candace cooking? And I just absolutely not. It's not me. So no, I nixed that idea right away. I don't know why people love the cooking segment so much, but uh, not for me. I cook at home, but well, nowhere that's the thing. So like when I was doing it on NBC, and I, I made no pretense of the fact that I didn't know what, what the hell I was doing. And um, but those segments, as much as I didn't really love doing them, rated. They rated through the roof. People like to see that stuff. So in what? the end, it's like, all right, you know, the shows, 
you, you're trying to look, put numbers on the board so you'll do what rates, but don't don't do it, Candace. I, it, you can't yeah. get those moments back. So, but you sound like you're enjoying it. Are you enjoying it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm loving it, you know, because it's just having that creative control and doing something that I feel is so relevant, you know, diving into culture and, and creating a show that's for conservatives and not done at the expense of conservatives. Like all the other late night shows are just, oh, we're going to make fun of conservatives for an hour straight. And yet we have more than half of the country that disagrees with that narrative. And so I'm for them, you know. I am for having meaningful discussions, being willing to talk about the truth and actually trying public solutions, you know, being unapologetic in my in my approach, which is to just be a truth teller and let the pieces fall where they may. But now your your more hard hitting news show that's still living. Yes. Uh, I never did a hard hitting news show. I had my podcast. And I'm not doing well, that's my what podcast I mean. anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not doing that anymore. So I always got the notifications on PragerU. Yeah, exactly. So I've stopped my Prager Youth show, but Daily Wire has eaten the catalog, and I'm instead bringing those people on for the interview segments of my Daily Wire okay. show. Is it five nights a week, or how often? Is how often can we see you? We're starting at once a week on Fridays at nine o'clock p.m., and then we're going to scale up starting next year. So we just want to sort of really nail down the format of the show and then scale up. That's awesome. Well, that's that's a reasonable workload for right now, because, you know, you're so active, I know, and, you know, reading the news and tweeting about the news and thinking about it. So even, you know, just the one the one time a week with a new baby is plenty and uh, look forward to watching it grow. And I know it's going to succeed. Just wishing you all the best. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to have you on the show. We're definitely going to get you (laughs) anytime, anytime. I'd love to. We can talk more about our our chest feeding and our vaginas. (laughs) perfect segment (laughs) see you soon thank you so much have a good one our thanks to the one and only candace owens want to tell you that coming up next on the program you're not going to want to miss it because we've had these amazing comedians on these comedians who are smart and do great social commentary which is really what comedians do if they're any good at their job and um the guy coming on next is chris DiStefano. He's a good friend, actually, of uh, Andrew Schultz, who came on the program recently, who was hilarious. And what we've seen when we first were talking about, you know, putting on comedians and having conversations with them, I, I was like, wait, are, is it is it an OK thing to do in the midst of a pandemic and you know these race discussions and so on? Well, can I tell you, those shows are so well received and the downloads are so huge. And what I've realized is people are dying for a chance to laugh, you know, like that I think the need to laugh is greater now than it's been in a long time. So it's fun talking to these guys who have sharp opinions on what's happening to America and, you know, our world, but are sort of a reminder, a living, walking, laughing reminder that it's important to keep your sense of humor about it. So Chris Stefano on the next show, go ahead and subscribe. Now, rate the show while you're there. Give me a review, still reading them, uh, and let me know what you thought of Candace. Uh, in our discussion, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. 
Ashley High Performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.